I thought personally if I got it I'd be fine. Young people and sports people we think we'd be okay but the truth is that it can hit any of us hard like. I hate not being able to play GA, not go out and socialise with my friends. The sacrifices are the only way so we really need to help each other along the way. Behind every case there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com Supported by the Government of Ireland. Hi, I'm Chloe Maidley, author of The Four Week Body Blitz and now The Fat Loss Blitz. And welcome to my new podcast, The Bodcast. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking to all of my favorite celebrities and health and fitness professionals about everything you can think of in terms of diet, nutrition, training, fat loss, muscle building. I'm going to be asking them all the questions that I think you guys will benefit from hearing the answers to. So without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast. Now, today on the podcast, we have somebody who I have been following for a long time, who is a bit of a hero of my partners, is Mr. Phil Lurney. He is coach to the coaches. He is the guy to go to if you are a professional and you need some help, whether you're an athlete or whether you are a personal trainer. He is an amazing educator uh, of all things fitness. He's also a power lifter and uh, pretty in shape himself. So how are you doing, <laughs> Phil? I'm all right, apart from my headphones just got exceptionally tight at that point. But, <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much. You can it's, see why uh, James likes me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can ab- absolutely appreciate why James likes you now. I'm like, what is he seeing? Oh, there we go. That's it. <laughs> Stroke the male ego. Just if any girls are like, damn it, how do I really get the edge here? Yeah, just yeah. go for the ego, guys. Seriously. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. No, I'm really, really excited that you're here. So uh, just so the audience knows, uh, Phil has been working with my fiance for a long, long time. Um, he really knows the body. He really understands training. And he is, uh, well, that is really exactly why I got him in today. So Phil, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and explain exactly who you are and what you do and from your standpoint, why you think you're here today. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it becomes difficult talking about yourself, right? Just pick uh, yourself up, mate. I've been, I've been in the industry 20 years. Uh, I retired from one-on-one coaching about two years ago. And in that sort of transitional period, I developed my coaching academy. So I've been educating and doing seminars lectures probably for the best part six or seven years and in that in that time I kind of figured out what what was missing in the health and fitness sector what PTs were were struggling with so we basically looked at those needs and requirements of the industry this is what I find I I talk to a lot of people about is that I feel like I'm always straddling a line between being accessible to my audience Mm -hmm. you know to Joe public and, and trying to explain to people how to lose fat or how to gain muscle and why it works. Um, but it, I was actually saying to Emma Story Gordon, who I know you know, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to me that even if I spend days researching a topic, um, reading evidence-based, uh, scientifically backed up studies, and then I dilute it down into layman's terms and put out what I feel is a very uh, accessible and uh, full of informational post... 
people really just don't respond to it. Um, and it's incredibly frustrating. Now, on the flip side, if I put up a photo of myself in a bikini looking in shape for a photo shoot, I get so much interaction, uh, you know, and, and it's really interesting when I had online plans, which I currently don't have, but I will be doing again at some point. Um, let's just say an online tabloid would carry that image of me. I would see a huge spike in my sales that day. And I mean huge. And it's really, uh, it's really quite scary how, because we live in such a visual world now, people are so influenced by how other people look. And it's very human. It's very normal. I'm not being judgmental. I'm the same. Um, but nobody is really looking to ask the question and get the answer before they spend their money or their time or their attention or their health. Um, so, I mean, do you see a way out of that? Do you see a way in educating not just the educators, the coaches, the PTs, the nutritionists, but the gem pop? Do you see an answer? I don't think there's ever going to be an out because ultimately everybody is always going to be influenced by people in the, you know, in the media, people in the public eye. You know, you're always going to listen to these people. I mean, you know, we know this with celebrities and politics. You know, all of a sudden, these people have, have given, been given the authority of a voice, and that voice then they start to wear their views on all these topics that they're really not, you know, they're not entirely knowledgeable yeah. about. So, you know, what we've got there is we've got to move people away, or the way I see it is we've got to move people away from probably listening to people they shouldn't, which is tricky because again, we've got this thing where. Like you say, you put up a bikini shot, you're you're going to get far more popularity around that. You're going to yeah. get far more people liking it, following it, whatever it might be. Because, Interacting it, yeah. Because it's easy to interact with. Yeah. Ultimately, it is. You know, whereas, you know, I write a long, uh, long post about, you know, the science of something. There's going to be less people interested in it because yeah. what they're wanting, they're either wanting solutions or they're wanting something that's going to inspire them to listen to somebody else. Yeah. And give them a different method from what they've been using. So when we look at the industry, the industry of either, there's two kind of routes that people have gone, is that people either massively overcomplicate things with science or mm -hmm. with just anything they can, or they massively oversimplify it. Now, what we're trying to basically get to is this middle ground where we embrace a bit of everything and application, because obviously when we fully embrace science, it's all well and good, but you can't apply most of it. And that's the problem. It's like saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I could take a room of 100 people and tell everybody in that room to eat uh, uh, fish and broccoli five times a day and lift weights four days a week. Every single one of them is going to get leaner. Yeah. And, you know, there's a high percentage of them probably going to end up with six packs. But ultimately, that fails because there's only going to be about 5% of people, if that, are going to actually do it. Yeah, of course. So, so when we're looking at the health and fitness industry and the, the vast majority, and we talked about gen pop before, you know, general populace are the people that most coaches are dealing with. Mm -hmm. And pretty much every educational event or talk or anything I've been to in the last, you know, 20 years of my entire career has been based on a specialist population. So we're talking about athletes. Yeah. We're talking about bodybuilders. Yeah. We're talking about physique athletes. But we seem to be forgetting about the people that need our help the most, which is the people that are walking around on the street who are confused about what they should be eating, what they shouldn't be eating, or, you know, ultimately what's going to achieve their goals. So what we do is we get all these people in the industry trying to twist things and turn things and put a new take on something. I mean, look at dieting. Pretty much every commercial diet on the planet follows one basic rule, yeah. and that's to put people in a calorie deficit. Yeah. But all you've got is you've got a bunch of novel ways in which to do it. So the one that works the best for you 
is going to be the one that works. But ultimately, the, 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 the fundamental basis behind it is exactly the same. Yeah. So you look at, you know, Paleo, you look at uh, Weight Watchers, Slimming World, all those different things. All they're doing is trying to put someone in a calorie deficit. They're just mm. giving you a different way of going about it. Yeah. And the one that fits with your lifestyle and the one that fits with your training and everything else is the one that's going to that work works. the best. Yeah. You know, so a lot of the time we're looking at trying not to, you know, uh, bottleneck, should we say, coaches and put them in this 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 bracket where you're the you're a paleo coach and you're a, and you're a, somebody who encourages hit training for example hit training is not going to work for a lot of people because it, it's horrible yeah i overdid it that was a period of my life my my career and my training where i just really overdid it and it took me to get to a point of honest honestly physical exhaustion to suddenly realize like hang on hang on a minute, I need to reassess how I'm training. And I think initially kind of it started with train smart, but ironically, I ended up going full circle the wrong way. <laughs> and I was like, hang on, I need to find a different way to implement a fat loss training program and cardio, uh, which is essentially just a means to burn more calories if yeah, you're yeah. in a fat loss space, um, without drilling my body into the ground, completely, you know, spiking my cortisol levels and feeling like shit all the yeah. time. But you had a basis of fitness, right? So yeah. so I could take you and James and I could put you on a hit program. It's going to be wonderful and you're going to deal with it because over the years you've you've built up that mental kind of fortitude that you're going to you can push through that sort of thing. Mm. Now I take that to you know Gladys down the road who's trying to lose a bit of weight, who's been overweight most of her life, hasn't, you know, done much activity, wasn't very active at school, and these are the people we're dealing with. So I try and do hit training with them, which is, you know, high intensity training. They're going to hate it. Yeah. You know, for the most part, they're going to hate it. And then they'll associate it with exercise moving forward. And then forward, all of a sudden, then then it's, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, we've got to look at everyone on an individual basis. And from a coaching standpoint, if I can get coaches to look at each individual on that kind of basis and go, look, if, if Gladys wants to do three classes of Zumba a week, that's wonderful. She's doing something she enjoys. She's doing something that's burning calories. And yeah, in our ideal little world, in our heads as fitness coaches or personal trainers or whatever it might be that everyone should be doing weights or everybody should be doing this, it doesn't quite fit. That's cool because ultimately what are we trying to get her to do? We're getting, trying to get her to move more. We're trying to get her to burn some calories. And then we're going to address her nutritional habits and her, and her nutritional behaviors. Not really what she eats because human beings care more about food than they ever will nutrition. Mm -hmm. unless, unless we go through this massive transition phase where all of a sudden everybody on the planet thinks calories, protein, carbs, fats. Over. But even then, your overriding factor is survival. So you know your body is going to want the donut. <laughs> but all, but also, it's, that's not just overriding factor of survival. That's the overriding factor of people want to take pleasure from life. Mm. You know, they want to eat something that's tasty. They want to eat something that's got a bit of texture to it, or it's got a bit of something to it. So people are always going to be drawn to these foods. So for us to then, you know, we were talking about it earlier today, and and. For us to then blame the food industry when that's what we're demanding, we're saying we want tasty food. We want food that's hyper palatable that's going to make us overeat it. You know, that's what we're demanding. We want things that are tasty, you know. So what the fitness industry does is they, they tell everybody that if you stop eating all the tasty stuff, you're going to win. Yeah. But you're not because your life's miserable. Yeah, yeah. You can't socialise, you, you, you know. And uh, this is when you hit that. And and I have, I've spoken to people about this before. I'm very all or nothing. I'm very, like... I'm either very relaxed about something and it's f everything's fine and I'm very placid or I'm like, go, don't stop, go and get, go.
go and get those results. And I had to get to a point with my diet where I was so kind of zoned in and, you know, very much hitting my macros, hitting my calories, clean eating all the way, 100% on track, always bro dieting, right numbers, everything. I had to get to a point and it actually took me a while. It took me about three or four years to get to a point where I was like, oh God, I just can't live like this. Like, I love wine. I love pizza. I love cake, just so we're clear. (laughs) I love whiskey. Like, I don't want to cut all those things out of my life. These are things that bring me joy, social joy, but also personal and and private and intimate within myself joy. You know, if I have a a glass of wine, I haven't had a glass of red wine in a couple of weeks and I have a really nice bottle of red, it makes me feel very good inside. And so I had to get to a point where I had to push myself to the end and actually say, you know what, there's got to be a a better way. And that's why I'm a big advocate now of tracking, although I don't want to be doing it forever, but um, I'm certainly learning a lot from it. Um, And I, I think a lot of people, it depends who you are. I think you either have to start small and ease into taking it more seriously and being a little bit more food minded, nutritionally minded. Or you have to kind of, you're the kind of person like me that goes in 100 on day one and actually goes the other way and slowly comes out of it and starts to implement more. And this is that individual approach is that that you've got all these PTs and these coaches out there using these transformation pictures of the one client out of 100 that they've got results with. And the reason it was just one, because they found the person with the right personality, the right approach, right period of their life, everything matched with the the, the kind of dumb program that they've put together, yeah. which is the extreme, you know, they've got to be at the gym every morning. But then what happens after that process is these people then revert back to what they were doing before, because ultimately we're dealing very much with habits and behaviours that people have. Oh, uh, that's all you're dealing yeah, with, yeah. You know, and and if you're a kind of extreme mentality, and I was the same, you know, and I still am the same. If I'm going in, I'm going in all in, yeah. you know, and I will quite happily just cut everything, go back to kind of that bro dieting you sort of mentioned, and I will go back to that because I know it works. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if I know it works, it you know, it's like when people go back to low-calorie dieting. They go back to low-calorie dieting not because it was fun, not because of anything else apart from it worked. It's foolproof. You know, it did. It worked. Yeah. But it's non-sustainable, which means, yeah, it's going to work for a little bit again. And every time they go back to it, it doesn't work as well. Because ultimately, that rebound process that people go through where they gain the weight they don't normally stop at where they were before. Yeah. They go beyond it. So they gain, they lose a bit of weight, then they gain a little more. They lose a bit of weight, gain a little more. So obviously every time they approach, go back to that same approach, it doesn't work as well. So you are, and I couldn't agree more with this, and I actually find this quite difficult to achieve, writing health and fitness books, which obviously are general plans. Yeah, you're trying to address everybody, right? Yeah, trying to hit all the... And it's, it, I love my job. It's incredibly fun and it's like a great big jigsaw puzzle trying to figure it all out, which I genuinely mean it when I say I love it. But it is difficult because I'm completely in your camp and on board with your uh, school of thought, which is that everybody's different. Everybody will have a different approach. Um, in my new book, The Fat Loss Blitz, I've really tried much more so than The Body Blitz to uh, tap into every section of society from the sedentary to the active to the gym bunnies um, and write the appropriate diet and training plan for everybody. Um, but it is very difficult to do when I think we both know that it is a very subjective thing. What kind of training do you enjoy? Do you like Pilates? Do you like weightlifting? What's your kind of resistance bag? What do you like in terms of cardio? Would you rather just spend 10 minutes doing here or it is hit your idea of hell and you'd much rather spend 25 minutes like walking on an incline it is very subjective because ultimately it's what are you going to stick to so given that you are a leader in the field what would your advice be for somebody who is 
completely sedentary, starting very much from day one in terms of getting the ball rolling, implementing uh, dietary changes, uh, nutrition, healthy eating and, and movement. How would you, if someone were to come to you, what would be the first few things that you would advise them to start doing? Well, if we start, we've got to start with one of those. So let's start with nutrition. Mm. So the first thing I'm going to look at with nutrition is I want to know what somebody eats. I want to know why they eat. I want to know how they eat. I want to know all of that stuff. So if I can get someone to honestly write down what they eat on a, in a dynamic way. So what I don't want is somebody at the end of the day writing down everything they can remember eating. Mm-hmm. Because remember anything, we've got to understand that something habitual is habitual because it's done largely subconsciously. Definitely. We don't think about it. So therefore, if somebody writes their diet down, so if 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 I asked anybody out there to write down what they ate yesterday, most people would get it wrong. Oh, yeah. So we then get into the realms of under-reporting or misreporting. So people are like, oh, well, people lie to me. They don't lie to you. They just don't remember. So if you write it out in real time, I'm going to get a real good snapshot. The problem we've got there is because people assume everybody in the fitness industry is quite judgmental. People don't want to write down the stuff they eat. Yeah. They don't want to go, oh, yeah, to Mars bar there. They don't want to write that down because they're embarrassed about it. Yeah. Because, they, again, there's that saying where people go, I know what I should be eating. Most people know what they should be eating. But they choose actively not to think about it. Of so course. they don't have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, so, so I know what I should be eating. When people say that, they typically do. Yeah. But they don't know how to apply it or move towards eating that on a regular basis because they don't enjoy it. So we'd look at someone's nutrition. We'd look at their, the habits and behaviors. Why do they do things? So I'm looking at everything down to the social scenario in which they're eating that because I don't want to mess with that social scenario. If they eat with a family on a Sunday afternoon, I'm not going to tell them to go and make something in Tupperware and sit at the, the, the dinner table with their family. I need to look at all those incidences. And all I want to do in the onset is look at ways in which I can save them calories. So I might look at the breakfast they have. What do they have? They always have something in a bowl with milk on it. So I'm going to look at that and I'm going to go, how can I save some calories on that? Now, if I do that and I apply that same principle across every single meal they eat in a week, if they're eating four meals a day, you know, I've got 28 meals that I can play around with and save them maybe 50 or 60 calories. Mm-hmm. Now I'm winning. Yeah. Because they chose the foods. They chose the times they ate. They chose the social situations they're in. They All know what they... All you did was sand down the corner of I it. I did what I needed to, yeah. which was... The industry harp on about this. People need to eat less and move more. Yes. Yeah, so how do we approach to eat less? What we do is we take everything they eat, every social situation they've got, every single thing they do habitually and behaviorally, and we tell them to do something different. Mm-hmm. And we wonder why they fail. You know. So what we're doing is we're taking all those little things and we're going, right, you're going to have, instead of using two teaspoons of sugar in your tea, you're going to have one. Mm-hmm. You know. You still get your hot drink, you still get your tea, you still get everything that's about it, but we've changed and altered it slightly so we get less calories. Mm -hmm. It's still a sweet. I remember a friend of mine, his dad used to have two or three sugars in his tea, and he used to work with his dad. He He was a barber. And I remember him saying to me one day, he said, he just nudged me and sort of whispered in me because his dad was on the chair next to him, and he said, he said, I've been giving him one sugar in his tea for the last six months, and he hasn't realized. No. And, and and it's it's those kind of little things where what we're trying to do, we're trying to keep them so they can do the things they've always done yeah. but achieve the outcome because ultimately that person is then going to ask me as the coach or the nutritional advisor or whatever it might be, can I change this? Because if they've been losing weight and they start losing weight and their diet is pretty much what it was before, they're going to come to me and they're, they've continuously eaten this pizza on a Thursday night with their friends or whatever, and they have movie night or whatever it might be. They're going to come to me and go, Phil, I know that that isn't great for me, so can I change it? And I'm like, now I'm no longer making the decision. Yeah. 
they're making that call for themselves yeah. because they already know. And that's long-term achievement. And actually, guys, like first of all, this is invaluable information, so I implore you to listen to it, especially if you're starting from square one and you are so, it feels like such a mountain to climb and you're so intimidated by all the lifestyle changes you have to make. You really don't have to make huge astronomical changes. You can implement tiny little things. And as I've spoken about with my guests before, in the beginning, yes, your body is going to respond. It's only, you know, the further you get down the line where it actually starts to get a bit harder and you need to think a bit harder about what you can and can't kind of sacrifice. And um, as a few more of my guests have said, look, the, the bigger the goal, the bigger the sacrifice. But initially, the goal should be very uh, linear and um, achievable as you go. It should be progressive as you go. And a really good piece of advice to kind of bastardize Phil's advice with that is that my partner and I love to eat together especially on a day off we'll have breakfast together we'll have lunch together we'll have dinner together and I take exactly as Phil was saying every single one of the meals that I cook him I make a very you know unnoticeable to him certainly change to my dish and I halve the calories and it is a it is a very easy thing to do in terms of implementing changes now the one thing I will say is that a lot of people don't necessarily know what is higher calorie and what is lower calorie? How do you get people to understand what calories are in what right from the off? What you got to remember is that the vast majority of people they don't rotate their foods that much. No. So, so you, you know, most people I think I think that when they've done the studies, they talk about about twenty to thirty foods. That's all people rotate around. You know, people have these foods that they stick to, or yeah. flavors, or whatever it might be. Might be. So we've just got to look at those those basic basic foods or basic preparation ways or whatever it might be. I remember back in the days I, I, had, I had friends who you go around the house and everything was deep fried. They just had a deep fat fryer and they dropped everything in the deep fat fryer. You know, so those kind of things where we're looking at what do people favour? If, if, if you've got somebody, and there's there's, there's shows on, on TV now where they, where they do this, where you can take something that somebody is, say it's a chicken tikka masala. You know, I think, believe it's one of the most popular dishes in Britain. Now, you can, would have guessed it? you can half the calories in that. Yeah, of course. Easy. It's it's not difficult because, again, the traditional way of making it is you use a lot of fats in it, you use a lot of this, that, the other in it, and you can amend that and adjust it very, very quickly. You can use lighter coconut milk. You can use, you know, uh, a little bit more protein. You can add more veg to it. You can do all these different things to make it better, more satiating. You can be fuller at the end of it. You can do all those things. And it's very easy for people to do that. But then how do we identify in those dishes or in those habits that people have? If somebody has a sandwich at lunch, we can change the calories in it very, very easily, oh, yeah. you know, with mayonnaise, butter. Everything has a dense form of calories that go into it typically. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to do those things. And again, people can eat diets that are familiar to them. They can eat in socialist situations. And again, as you, you mentioned, you're, you're making foods on a daily basis that you're just looking at and going, how can I save some calories on that? Do I trim the fat off the meat? Do I do, you know, whatever it might be. And it's so simple to do. And yeah. it's, part of that's food education as well because, you know, anybody born post-1976, if we look statistically, technically can't cook. You know, in the grand scheme of things, most people born post-1976, according to the stats, are unable or lack in skills to be able to do cooking. One of them's my fiancé. Yeah. <laughs> And that's just society. That's how it is. You know, I remember, you know, growing up and I, I grew up in a pub and everything we we ate was homemade. 
it wasn't particularly uh, suited to a calorie controlled <laughs> diet. It, no, um, in fact, it probably was heavily nutritious. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there'd be bits and pieces in there. But the, it probably was heavily nutritious. But at the end of the day, it was still jam packed full of calories. Of course. But everything was homemade, which yeah. is what people harp on about. And you know, when we talk about clean eating and blah, blah, blah. And somebody had a dispute with me the other day. I'd put up some uh, vegan uh, alternatives to, to to foods that you could get from commercial kind of eateries. And somebody said, I wouldn't eat that rubbish. And I'm, I said, well, hold on. That's, you know, there, there's, you there's, there's bread, vegetables, there's tomatoes, there's there's all these different things in these ingredients. And they're saying, you know, they're, they're from instantly, because they were from commercial eateries, they're saying, it's poor quality food or whatever it might be. And at the end of the day, these are things that are, you know, they're perfectly good for you, they're perfectly healthy. We 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 harp on about convenience food. And I think there's this thing that carries on from TV dinners. You remember TV dinners? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That were horrendous. It was all processed. It was I really could, my parents still love that. Love a, love a good TV them. dinner. Yeah. It's crazy because yeah. and they think it's because it's got Marks and Spencer's on it that it's like, I don't know, some kind of culinary delight. I'm like, guys, it's still a TV dinner. TV dinners. I mean most of the listeners probably won't have a clue what we're talking about. Here. But but uh <laughs> But again, people like Marks and Spencer's, people like Sainsbury's. You can go in there, you can get a meal that matches whatever flavour or culinary kind of cuisine, taste, whatever. You can find something in there that matches that exact same thing and that's going to be calorie controlled. It's got the numbers on there for you. You don't have to tally it all up yourself. So, So all of a sudden we're into convenience food. But we're into convenience food that has a short shelf life, which means it's fresh. Yeah, you know, three or four days later, these things expire. There, you know, it's fresh food, but it's just been somebody has taken that job away from you, and they've prepared it and put it into this format that makes it very easy for you to eat it. So, you know, you can go to around London, and you could eat from any of these places on a daily basis, and still have an on-point, calorie-controlled, macro-packed full of nutrients diet. Yeah, I think, and and I think that experience as well, and, and starting to implement those changes, can be really uh, beneficial in terms of eating out and being social. So I now can look at a menu, and I, I've written a post about this before. I have like Terminator laser precision of the menu of <laughs> what is what and what is going to keep me completely on my diet in my calories. Obviously, you have to allow room for some added fats in terms of the oils and the butters that things are cooked in, unless you ask for it dry, which you can do. But learning food education and learning about simple things like your protein sources, fat sources, carbs, processed foods, non-processed food, uh, vegetables, fiber, just it will literally take you a few weeks of thinking, just thinking about things. And I promise you the knowledge that you will gain and the experience that you will gain will mean that you can implement a diet that you personally can stick to, can enjoy and actually get results with. Um, Okay, so I'm really interested because I know that you work with uh, coaches, athletes, um, and you know just general clients. What do you, what are the biggest differences you found in coming up with a nutrition plan for a professional athlete, um, and coming up with a nutrition plan and training plan as well? Yeah, more nutrition, I think, um, for your kind of average Joe. What are your thought processes? What do you take into account? What is different? And how would you advise somebody? who didn't want to really train that much to get results as opposed to somebody who's training in the gym all the time or a professional athlete? The big difference, when we talk about professional athletes, we've got to kind of subdivide here. We've got professional performance athletes Mm -hmm. and then obviously we've got that subcategory of professional 
athletes who are physique oriented. So, so you know, we've, we've always got to kind of separate that nowadays because there are so many people doing physique competitions and things like this where performance isn't really a goal. Your goal is to look a certain way mm-hmm. and that's it. And performance aside, we're not really overly fussed. So if I'm looking at the general population, I'm looking at physique athletes and things like this, I'm not that fussed about performance. So my main goal is calories. My second goal is protein. Because on a on a daily basis, these people who are looking at improving their physique, and, and that includes the general pop, are going in a gym on a daily basis and breaking down proteins. And that's essentially what they're doing. So where the rest of the calories come from, whether it's pro- whether it's carbs or fats, I'm not overly fussed. You know, it doesn't really make that much difference to me. If we're dealing with the beast populations, there's certain things that we might consider in there and that we might bring carbs down slightly. But typically that's because habitually and behaviorally they've consumed too many. Yeah. You know, there's not many people out there who are gaining weight and becoming obese from overeating fats or protein. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's some people hitting good levels of fats, but... Housing a jar of peanut butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But for the most part, people resonate towards foods that are palatable, that uh, that will have an influence on their body, which are carb-based, typically. Yeah, stodgy filling. You know, that's how people go. So... And then when I look at performance athletes, all of a sudden there's a consideration there for protein, for carbs and fats. Of course. Because we've got to consider energy systems, mm-hmm. which comes down to understanding. And again, this is kind of talking to a different population as such, but we've got to then consider what fuel systems they're using and utilizing. I mean, one of the things I did with James was getting very used to surviving on low carbs. Yeah. I know he was doing one of your diet plans when yeah. I first met him. And it was, and it was, all we did is we were fluxing. We were having having certain days where he was having carbs, certain days where they were bringing them lower, odd days. So basically, when he came into a game day, his body was taking on board these carbs and putting them in muscle where we wanted them. Yeah, you know, and it was just it was. I didn't think of it that way of risking your life going to work, but seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier and then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com Supported by the Government of Ireland. It's a very basic, simple thing. There was no huge complexity about it. It was just, look, what we're going to do is we're going to take them down midway through the week then we're going to bring them back up again. That's it. So so he didn't become solely dependent because remember at the end of a game or getting towards the end of a game, he's running out of fuel, his mm-hmm. basic form of fuel, which are carbohydrates. So if he can't transition and move across, which is what we class as metabolic flexibility, mm-hmm. which is somebody's ability to move from, you know, predominantly carb-based, you know, metabolism to proteins and fats, of which course. is, a you know, without getting into the science of it all, it's just basically how the body works. Uh, and we wanted him to be able to manage on both of them instead of having this all of a sudden running out of fuel, Feels terrible, can't run anymore, can't move anymore, you know, and obviously that's a gross exaggeration, but we wanted him to be able to perform in whatever capacity he was in. Yeah. And and all we did was we just fluxed his carbs and fats a little bit. So ultimately then that was very similar to what we're doing with the gen pop. Mm-hmm. Is that, but we were just timing it all a little bit better and, and yep. aligning it with when he needed it. So diet plans are for the most part calories. That's all we're looking at yeah. in the onset. And is it enough for them to achieve what they want to achieve? If they're trying to build muscle tissue, we need a surplus, typically. 
if they're trying to perform, they probably need a slight surplus, surplus as yeah. well. And then if they're trying to lose weight or they're trying to lose fat, we want a marginal deficit. And that's one of the key things is the marginal deficit. And this is goes back to what we were talking about before with sustainability is that I get that everybody that's probably listening to this and everybody that, that reads your book and everybody everybody wants the most extreme example of something because they assume the more extreme I go, the better results the More guaranteed the yeah, result, yeah. Absolutely. So if I drop my calories down to 500 calories a day, Oof. you're going to lose weight faster than somebody on 1,500 calories a day. Yeah. But there's, there's various implications without getting in too much detail, but the outcome is that you're probably not physically going to be in a position to sustain that. Oh, definitely not. Which means that you're probably going to spend however long you manage on 500 calories a day, which isn't going to be very long, but you're going to validate things like overeating on a weekend because Monday to Friday, my diet's been on point there for a deserved reward. So on a Friday night, floodgates open and then it's Saturday, Sunday, you don't count a single calorie. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like this thing where if somebody's eating a thousand calories a day, five days a week, mm -hmm. which is extremely low for the vast majority of people, five days a week. So 5,000 calories Monday to Friday, then they go, right. So because I've been so strict, I'm going to take the weekend off. So they consume eight, 9,000 calories, two days on the bounce. Now, why didn't they just tally all that up and do an average? Yeah. Which means that every day, if they want to have a biscuit, they can have a biscuit. Yeah. If they want to eat a little bit of chocolate every day, they can do that. And remember that the more calories you've got to play with, the wider your food choices become. Oh, uh, yeah. Of and course. this is this notion about meal frequency. People talk about, you know, and it comes from bodybuilders. And bodybuilders eat high meal frequency because the vast majority of bodybuilders who are, you know, huge and blah, 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 it's very hard to get in that level of calories in three or four meals. Yeah, absolutely. It's uncomfortable. It's hugely uncomfortable. So what they do is they spread it out over more. But what people did years ago is they looked at bodybuilders and said, bodybuilders are hugely lean. They've got loads of muscle. So therefore, if we eat frequently, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And so this is where this is the metabolism, thing, right? Yeah. Stoking my metabolism, which we know is scientifically nonsense. No. So we need to look at formats that fit those, the, the, the kind of meal structure and the frequency that people have yeah. and match with the goals and align with the goals. Yeah. So, well, you heard it from from the master really if you are more concerned with physique goals or performance goals you should be a little bit more concerned with your overall macro split if you are more concerned with just looking better feeling better losing some weight dropping a dress size your predominant thing is calories always your secondary thing is protein which i've said a million and one times already um i would throw fiber in there too just for general health and also thermic effect of food that satiating filling uh nature of it um and then you can be a little bit more personal in terms of your carbon fat reduction um you know as you will in my fat loss split you know my the sedentary plan is very much uh, kind of a, a calorie deficit uh, achieved with with quite an even split between fats and carbs. Um, and as I come more into the gym plan, I start to play around a bit more with the carb cycle, which I'm I'm a big believer of. But it does not work for everybody, and it's not for everybody. Um, but I think you're completely right. I think it totally depends on the person, their goal, their training split, um, and how they they react well but also kind of to play a devil's advocate on what you just said there about you have a carb cycle in the book right yeah is that we also have this huge alienation towards carbs oh definitely and at the end of the day if if, if you know the carbs and fats as I've, I've talked about is that are we that bothered provided we're still hitting the macros and provided we're hitting the calories yeah so if somebody's hitting the calories for the most part the level of fats and the level of carbs, because they've obviously got a flux once we keep protein constant, they're not going to make that much difference. Yeah. So for people to insinuate that carbs are 
causing weight gain, whatever it might be. A lot of it, what you got to remember is that carbs get stored in muscle tissue, liver, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, as glycogen. And in doing so, we also store fluid. So you drop someone's carbs, and this is why carb, low-carb diets and carb-free diets yeah. is hugely popular because you weight. will get weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. But it's scale weight. You're yeah. not going to lose fat. You're not going to do anything exceptionally more than anything else. But it, all other things being equal, if you're in a calorie deficit and everything's evenly matched, then you'll get the fat The loss. outcome's the same. Yeah. You know, so, so that, that massive thing about carbs, but also getting people used to surviving without carbs mm -hmm. is kind of a good thing. Yeah. You know? And I, th I think, you know, we've talked about it various times throughout the podcast before. All diets work so long as they implement a calorie deficit. However they do that is obviously dependent on the diet. So you could talk about keto, you can talk about paleo, you can talk about uh, intermittent fasting. Um, but ultimately, if you are in a calorie deficit and you are pushing your body to burn fat for energy because it doesn't have as many calories as it wants, then you're good to go. Uh, you can absolutely play around more with carbs and fats. I think the reason I play around more with carbs is because I feel very uncomfortable putting women especially on low-fat diets, uh, whereas carbohydrates I feel a little bit safer to play around with in terms of the, yeah. around training and higher days, lower days. Fats, I, for me, should really reach a, a level and then not really go below that. But the problem we have with that is, and again, I, I noticed you, you explained about the, the kind of gender differential there mm. when we talk about women. Women have been dieting probably for a decade, nearly two decades more than men, yeah. right? And women started dieting when low fat was a thing. Yeah. It was like low fat, fat's got the most calories in it per unit. Mm -hmm. So the easiest way of reducing calories in somebody's, and we talked about this before, the easiest way to reduce calories dramatically in somebody's diet is to reduce fat. Mm -hmm. So if you take fats completely out of somebody's diet, typically it's going to put them in a calorie deficit. Yeah. So the problem then is that people then started to eat more carbs. So then we, we had this counter effect then, we spend the next decade saying carbs are the reason for weight gain because everybody's overeating them. Everybody's only overeating them because nobody's eating fat anymore. Yeah. So it's all relative, right? So so we just end up going through these cycles. cycles and, yeah. and we know fats are required. We know carbs are required. We know fiber is required. And that, I think that is one of the things that's massively undersold. And when you, you mentioned fiber is that we've got to remember that food, when it's processed, when it's refined, a vast majority of that, that processing part is to take fiber out of things mm -hmm. and is to take enzymes so mm -hmm. food doesn't rot so basically it lasts longer on a shelf or it lasts longer in a tin or whatever it might be so when it goes into your body your body can't break it down as efficiently which then we start to talk about processed foods mm -hmm. so when we start to add vegetables into things and this is this thing vegetables are really hard to sell to people <laughs> because they're not the tastiest things in the world tastiest things i in the disagree world. i love a veg can yeah? i just say i'm a i'm, I'm a fan <laughs> of veg but it, but it, you know, steamed broccoli. I don't care who you are. You'd rather have a steak. <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. Does, you know, it doesn't smell great. It doesn't taste it doesn't incredible. Smell great. I actually really, broccoli yeah. and hot sauce is my favourite thing. Ah, so but we're, <laughs> we're changing there. We're, we're changing there. If I take the hot sauce away, <laughs> you're going to eat kilos of broccoli. Guys, you should see Phil's face. He looks totally panicked. That no, I just... <laughs> I'm look. I'm look. You know, let's say you're an anomaly. No, there, cool. but there are people that that thoroughly enjoy vegetables. There's certain vegetables that I thoroughly enjoy, but typically I'm seasoning them, I'm roasting yes, them, definitely. I'm doing something with them to make them a little bit more flavoursome because they are pretty bland things. Cauliflower cheese. But the, yeah, yeah, throwing <laughs> cheese, huge amounts of cheese on them. But but what we've got there is we've got to remember that vegetables make people feel full. Yeah. Now, if you're going to go into calorie deficit, one of the worst things about calorie deficit is the fact is you will feel hungry because the basis of the human body is it will tell you when it's in a deficit. Yeah. 
And if you go into an extreme deficit, that is going to be a massively overwhelming feeling. And if we can get people in a marginal deficit and then add more veg into the diet, typically that feeling of being hungry, yeah. we can mute to some degree. Yeah, if, you can mask If it. we only put them in a marginal calorie deficit. Now, the marginal calorie deficit is cool because it, therefore it's sustainable. They can stick to it. They can eat the foods that they've got used to. They can have a couple of treats in there. But ultimately, on a daily basis, they might be in a two, 300 calorie deficit, which you add that up and tally that up over the course of a year. Uh, yeah. These people are going to get in they're shape gonna, yeah. seriously. Yeah. And they're going to sustain a lifestyle that they enjoy. They're going to sustain a diet they enjoy. And if we can jam in some vegetables there, which they probably didn't frequent before, yeah. they're going to feel okay. You can and kind of bridge over the water of that. Yeah. Um, you know, Phil touches on a really important point and nobody talks about it. If you are, you know, if you've implemented a real calorie deficit and your body fat levels are dropping and they're dropping fast, you are going to feel hungry. And trust me when I say those vegetables are going to be your best 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 friend um but you know as he says you know my book is a especially the four-week body blitz my first book is a, it's a really fast you know body transformation book for those of you who are going on a holiday or a wedding or but for the vast majority of people doing a slow and steady uh you know, calorie deficit implementing diet and, you know, a healthy activity level, whether it is exercise activity or neat, whatever it is, um, that kind of long term slow approach, it is going to feel a lot less stressful on your body and on your lifestyle. Um, and it is going to be a lot more maintainable in the long run. So I think you touched on a really good point there. And it's what we can remember is that every loves results. Everybody yeah. wants to get from A to B as fast as possible, whatever it is, business, health, nutrition, Whatever, you know, driving. Car Everyone, upgrade, <laughs> yeah, car upgrade. Everybody wants to go from A to B in the quickest time possible. So, mm -hmm. so are we ever going to remove the, the the concept of doing fast transformation things, which ultimately for most people result in something that's that's a little unfavorable. You know, they develop behavioral stuff that just isn't compliant with ongoing and the fitness industry is riddled with people with with disordered eating patterns oh, in whatever way, shape, or form they talk about it. But ultimately, where are we ever going to get away from this transformation mentality? We're not, because ultimately, people still want results. There are going to be certain people that can go into something like that and come out of it very happily at the other end. Yeah. You know, I would, if I was to approach something like that, I'd go very extreme. But that sits with me very well. Yeah. I like that. I like that challenge. I like, you know, I did a. Uh, Dan was asking me earlier about about bodybuilding, and he said, "Have you ever competed?" I said, "Yeah, years ago, but I hated it." I hated every part of the process apart from the discipline. And I loved that. I loved the fact that on a daily basis, I was challenged to be, you know, to be hungry and not eat yeah. and to go out with my friends and not drink and not eat the food they were eating. And I saw that as a, this massive challenge. And it's something that I believe when people experience that, and I say a lot to coaches and things, I say experience it. Go out there, experience it, because then you'll know what it's like. And then you can... You can answer people better. You can understand a little bit more can about coach what them better, you can yeah. coach them better because you understand what it's like. And and not to say that you, it's like saying somebody who coaches obese clients or overweight clients has to have some point been obese or overweight. And one of the big things we look at in our seminars is I try and explain to them what it's like to be overweight. Mm -hmm. So I'll I'll create this fictional character. And I'll go, right, this person's obese. This is how they feel. This is how they perform. This is what their hormonal levels are probably like. This is how they feel on a regular basis. And and it's a it's a horrible state of affairs, mm -hmm. you know, because it isn't as easy as just going, get yourself in a calorie deficit. 
and move more. It isn't that simple because if it was that simple, everybody would be getting results. Exactly. If you know? it was that simple, you know, and this is another thing, don't hate on yourself if it's taking you a minute and you haven't quite found the method that works best for you yet. If it was that simple, we would all be in sick ass shape all the time. And we're not. It's a struggle. It's a struggle for professionals and it's a struggle for, you know, the general population. So go easy on yourself and figure out the method that works best for you and your life and your personality. You know, we're all different. And Phil and I are saying that we love that push and that extremism in a way um I always really have to take things too far before I check myself and I've been like that since I was a, a little girl um and I think if you're not that way inclined then you need to find the way that works better for you uh I'm just going to give you the floor for a minute to say whatever the hell you want to say <laughs> what do I say so what do I say I need to leave with something quite you know profound quite profound if well, anyone I think, can do it, you I think, can do it. I think really the take home, and, and again, I always like to leave people with something of that they can actually go away and apply. I think we talked about nutrition is find something that you can achieve what we want to achieve for the most part. And again, I'm assuming that most people are wanting to look at weight loss and get in better shape. Yeah. So you need to find a way to achieve a calorie deficit, not the way, not a way. You know, you need to figure it out for yourself as to how you're going to maintain what you enjoy what you do and get the outcome you want, which is a marginal calorie deficit. We know this. You need to be patient. And you also need to find things that make you move more, things that you enjoy, whatever it might be. For some people, it might be, you know, get a dog, walk your dog, you know, find something that you have to commit to on a day-to-day basis that involves moving more. I mean, these step counts that people can do on their phones or Mm. on their devices, their watches, things like this are phenomenal nowadays. You know, whereas years ago, you you know, you used to put this funny thing on your your belt that would vibrate up and down and would <laughs> be way off with 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 step camp. But they're great because we're encouraging people to be more active. Don't feel that you've got to walk out and join a gym immediately. Don't get me wrong, that's great if that's what you want to do. But gyms are hugely intimidating. Changing in lifestyle is hugely intimidating. All these things that intimidate the hell out of you shouldn't play a part in what you're doing right now. You should keep everything as close to what you used to behaviorally as it is and just tweak it all play with all those little bits and pieces that's some very very good advice from a very very good professional thank you so much for coming in you're very welcome i massively appreciate it that absolutely made my year so that does it for today's episode of the podcast thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you with another amazing guest next week And don't forget, if you are enjoying the podcast, please give us a like, hit subscribe, leave a comment, give us any kind of positive feedback. We want it, we need it, we appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Have a good week. I didn't think of it that way, of risking your life going to work. But seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking. Please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier. And then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Podcast Network.